Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of the podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, VP of B2B Products, Vincent Petrofessa, and CEO, AJ Gupta, catch up with Keith Goodman, VP of Corporate Solutions at Modern Postcard. Keith shares why his company avoids industry trade shows, his association with the band Rat, and how ruining his senior prom jump-started his career. Give it a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's another episode of The Marketing Stir. I am your host, Starista's VP of B2B Products, live from New York. I'm happy to be out of uh, Pennsylvania. Vincent Petrofessa, ladies and gentlemen. And with me, as always, is my fine, fine co-host, our commander-in-chief of Starista here, my fearless leader, CEO, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. Great day here in San Antonio. Looks like uh, Texas is opening up. We'll be uh, hopefully back in office in some capacity next month. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Happy to hear that. Happy, but also concerned. I want to make sure everyone is going to be safe. I am in calling in from New York City, which I think is going to be the last place in the entire world to reopen. I had to give myself a haircut the other day, G.I. Jane style, if you remember that movie. For the millennials, we will go with Britney Spears. Remember when she shaved her head? Uh, I did that. I lost my beautiful locks. They were never beautiful. I'm Italian and I have pretty bad hair. Anyway, but that's what I've been doing. It is good to be back home. I was in Pennsylvania with my in-laws for 50 days. That's 5-0. And it was not, uh, it, it was great, but it's there's no place like home, right? So it's great to be back here. Great to be back on the podcast. We've been getting such great feedback from the podcast. If you enjoyed the previous episodes, please not only message me that you liked them, I appreciate that, but also like, subscribe, rate us. We're happy to receive that feedback. Today, we've got another great one. AJ, I really want to hear what this uh, guest has to say. I would love to welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast, the Vice President of Corporate Sales and Marketing from Modern Postcard, Mr. Keith Goodman. What's going on, Keith? Uh, Not much. Hey, thank you, AJ and Vincent. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. And I'm in San Diego. Beautiful uh, San Diego, California, and it's a, just a beautiful spring day. And we are, uh, everything is good here, except that uh, we're very slow to reopen, being California. Yeah, you're kind of in the same boat as New York City, in a sense. I mean, there's not that, obviously, not, not that many people there, Keith, but California's taking that very slow, strategic approach, if you will. Yeah, a little cautious, a little cautious, but that's okay. You know, we're staying safe. It's just kind of funny being down at the beach and having to wear a mask. You know, it's, I, I, I'm having a hard time understanding it, but I guess it makes sense. Yeah, just being just being at the beach sounds pretty good to me. It's finally decent weather here in New York City, but then it's also your people kind of scared to go out. 
I'm scared to go in the elevator with people. It's it's a different time. Myself now having two children. I don't think we did a podcast before my new son was born. Maybe we did, but I have a brand new son. His name is Aiden. Thank you. He was born on Earth Day. So that, I guess, is exciting. People are like, it's Earth Day. He's going to save the world. I'm like, he is just sleeping right now. That's all he does. So let's pump the brakes on that. Who knows? But Keith, we wanted to have you on the the podcast for a variety of reasons. I I, I work very closely uh, with Modern Postcard. You guys do amazing work. I wanted to get your take on the direct mail. We wanted to get your take on some of the live events that you normally put on. You put them on so beautifully. But before I do that, we always like to ask our guests, how did you get here? Not in the podcast, but how did you get into the <laughs> well, business? I logged, <laughs> I logged in. I I received 11 emails from Vincent until yeah. he annoyed me to come out of the podcast. No, but how did you, you've been in the industry a long time. How did you get into this business? How did you get to Modern Postcard? Talk to me about that. Well, you know, I started when I was 10 years old. <laughs> a genius, a genius in the direct mail game. Yeah, actually, my dad was a serial entrepreneur when I was a kid, and uh, he, he would always do direct mail when he started a new business. So he did biofeedback, he sold vacuum cleaners, he did real estate, he owned a recording uh, recording studio for a while, he did all these different businesses. And every time he'd do mailings, and he'd send out all these envelopes and, you know, letters and you go have them copied and we would fold them up, stuff them in the envelope and then put a label on it and a stamp on it. And then he'd mail them out. And then two or three weeks later, he started to get customers. And I kind of grew up seeing that relationship between helping my dad put all these letters in the mail and then people calling and he would do business. And we did that for years. Some of the letters went out with pizza stains on them and stuff like that, or we spilled a Coke or whatever. Um, but they still generated revenue. And then when I was in high school, I started booking concerts. And uh, we did like, they call them raves today, but they were parties. And we had live bands playing and things like that. We, we did a big party on prom night. We did a private prom and I had sold it out, sold 3,000 tickets, destroyed our high school prom. And my dad owned a computer company at the time. He said, you should collect everybody's address. And that way, when you do your next event, you can send out a mailing telling everybody to come to your next concert. I said, well, I don't have a next concert. He said, you just sold out 3,000 seats. I have a feeling you might have a next one. So we did these little drawing tickets where, you know, come to our next event, win free tickets and fill out this form. And I asked questions like, What's your favorite soft drink? What's your favorite local band? What's the last album you bought? What's your favorite radio station? And took all the slips and entered them into the computer. Now, this is back in the old mainframe days with the little terminal in the in the den that I entered all these names in. And six months later, I did an event, pulled the mailing list and mailed it and did all my normal advertising and kept on building and building and building. Well, fast forward four years, I'm going to college, San Diego State. And I had my first opportunity to do a major concert, and it was the B-52s. And I got the concert with nine days left. 
and didn't have enough time to do a mailing. So I had to go buy radio ads. I had never bought radio ads before. So I looked up on the computer and saw what the most popular radio station was in that area and for that type of music. And it was a, a radio station called KGB. And I walked in there, talked to the program manager, and he said, you know, you've been doing shows for four years in San Diego, and you sell out everything you do, and you've never bought a radio ad. What do you do? And I said, well, I send out direct mail. And he said, how does that work? I said, well, I have a list of 120,000 kids in Southern California that go to concerts. And I know what kind of soft drinks they like and what their favorite bands are and what the last album was. But most importantly, I know what radio station they listen to. And 48% of them listen to KGB. That's why I'm here. And he said, well, what's the other 52%? I said, well, those are all the other radio stations. He said, how much would you charge me to get that data? And I said, I'll trade you for radio ads. I never paid for radio ads. So I learned a huge lesson was the value of data, not only doing direct mail, but how much data is worth and what, how much power that gives you. And I actually, at the age, the ripe old age of, I think I was 23 and a half years old, I sold my, comp my concert business for a lot of money, basically, because I had a list at the time of 360,000 kids in Southern California that went to rock concerts. Nobody had that list. And that's really the largest concert promoter in Southern California at the time bought it for the value of that list. So I learned super early on the power of direct mail and data and everything else and kind of carried that over into my next careers in entertainment and computers and technology. And then um, I think you're all familiar with uh, Bruce Beagle, but he and I started a data company. We had both been in the high tech industry and decided we're going to sell marketing data over the Internet, started Think Direct Marketing. And he had mentioned, he said, you know, there's this guy that's teaching direct mail copywriting. And uh, I think you should go take a lesson. His Alan Rosenspan, who turns out as one of the top copywriters. He was creative director at Ogilvy. I took a class with him, spent three days in a intensive with him. Came back to the data industry, fell in love with the industry and been in it ever since. So back in the mid 90s, I got into this business and never looked back. And uh, it's just been wonderful. And now I'm still there. And it's funny how we all come full circle. I started out putting labels on envelopes for my dad 50 years ago. And here I am in direct mail. So go figure. Keith, what an, uh, what an amazing story. And it actually explains why some of the uh, parties that your company has thrown over the years have become part of our industry legend. So <laughs> It's kind of hard to get that out of your blood. <laughs> yeah. what, what are you guys doing now that uh, there's not as many conferences, which used to be a big part of uh, your marketing from what I could tell? So how are you going about marketing your company during this uh, COVID corona times and how will you continue to do it given that conferences are unlikely to come back anytime soon? You know, um, and, and that's a really good question. Um, you know, a couple things. And, and I think a lot of companies have, have kind of had to re-examine how they do business and, you know, and, and kind of reinvent themselves and, and us included. Um, events 
our seminars and trade shows have, have always been our top acquisition tools. And it really kind of feeds our sales team. But one of the things we did find was because we have spent so much time and, and effort and resources in constantly creating new sales opportunities, um, we, we actually had a lot of sales leads that had not really been adequately followed up on. You know, we had tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that had responded to ads, come by, come to the seminars, come by our booth, you know, signed up for, for direct marketing kits, you know, uh, web consultations, downloading white papers. And the sales reps constantly had new leads coming in. So a lot of the old ones just kind of fall off, fell off. So we really went back and spent a, a lot of time and effort going back through our database and really kind of data mining what we had in-house and, and allocating, reallocating these leads to the reps and really aggressively going out and talking to people, emailing, um, direct mail, but kind of really reactivating a lot of the, the opportunities that we already had in-house and it's, it's been extremely successful. And it, it's sad that it takes this type of event to really drive you to go do that. And we're, we're laughing because we're thinking, imagine if we had done that during the good times as well. Um, but we had to wait till this happened to really go back and do that. So we're now at the point where we're kind of ready to, to start, you know, doing new acquisition programs. And we, we used to do webinars years ago, and we've kind of gone back to doing webinars. And we've had an amazing success. Just had one Thursday with uh, almost 500 people on it. And uh, we, we had people literally um, emailing and calling us within a half an hour of the time the, the webinar ended to, to want to put programs together and start doing direct mail. We're, we're seeing a lot of pent up demand as, as businesses start to reopen and we're kind of, you know, poking our heads out after hibernation and going, oh, look, the sun is out. <laughs> it's springtime. And uh, people, are, people and businesses are coming back to life. And it's, it's kind of really exciting to see. It's, you know, this is the first time any of us have been through anything like this. And, uh, you know, seeing kind of that, that light at the end of the tunnel and, and hoping, hoping it's not an oncoming train. Um, but, you know, right now, uh, knock on wood, things seem to be going well and uh, kind of picking back up. Well, Keith, I wanted to I wanted to talk about the webinar and some of the courses. But before I get to that, I want to just get back to that story. So you were in high school. This is a 17 or 18 year old kid. And you're saying, I think I could make our prom better. I think I could start a music concert type business. I mean, that, that, that's amazing. A lot of kids are not thinking about that. Did you just have two questions on that? And then I'd love to go into the webinar uh, question. Cause I saw that you're doing some great webinars, uh, direct uh, marketing, direct mail 101 and direct marketing crash course. However, talk to me about, did you just really have a, a love for music? I did. Is that what you did? I played, I was a musician and my dad played music and we always had music in my house and my parents um, started letting me have parties when I was probably 15, 16 years old where I had bands over playing in the backyard, <laughs> friends who had bands. 
so we always had like I, I got started early putting on putting on concerts, but um, we'd have these big parties with bands in the backyard. My friends would play, and then when I moved to San Diego from L.A., um, I met some of the people there and that were putting on the dances. And I said, hey, I have some great bands that you can put on the dances and started bringing bands down from L.A. that actually had records out to play at our high school dances. And when it came time to have the prom, I wanted to have a rock and roll prom. And are you familiar with a band called Rat? Oh, sure. Yeah. R-A-T-T. Sure. Yeah. They were from Claremont Mesa in San Diego, and they were originally called Mickey Rat. And I had known them and I wanted them to play at this at our prom. And right around that time, Saturday Night Fever had come out. So I'm I'm dating myself. <laughs> and they decided they wanted to have a disco band instead. So I decided I would have my own prom. And that's when I kind of broke away. And on prom night, I took the biggest hall available in around Mission Bay at a hotel right on Mission Bay that held 3,000 people. And I hired Mickey Rat, and we did all this advertising. And like I said, we sold this thing out. And only about 30 people went to our high school prom. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really interesting at my 10-year reunion when the MC reminded me that I was the one that ruined our prom. So that, that was interesting. <laughs> oh, man. Now, did you meet any, as my other question was, did you get to book or meet a few bands that just, like you said, Rat, who just became, oh, this this one person came and played at our prom and he became Elton John. Like, you know, like just, who, can you share some of those stories? I, we like to Absolutely. Yeah, have so, some fun with that. Here, here's, this is an interesting one. And it's Rat, it's Steve Piercy. Um, and that, they were... And the new rat was actually a couple bands that had combined to become rat. And the final version of rat were two or three different bands from San Diego where the top people from each band combined to become the, the band that actually started touring as rat. But he was being interviewed on MTV um, when they had gotten their first platinum album. And they said, you know, wow, you guys are really have just taken the world by storm. <laughs> He said, yeah, it's amazing how it took 10 years to have an overnight success. He said, I, I remember, he said, nights with an old promoter of ours, Keith Goodman, and we were up like at three o'clock in the morning, walking up and down Sunset Boulevard, putting stapling posters on telephone poles for our show the next night, trying to get people in the door and then playing in front of 25 people. So... It was, it's funny how, you know, these, like you said, they're small and all of a sudden they become like Elton John. Well, they were never as big as Elton John, but it, they remembered their roots. And, you know, Steve remembered like sitting up at three in the morning, drinking coffee and putting posters on telephone poles, trying to get people to the shows back in the early days. And, you know, bands like um, the Talking Heads, where we did their show in uh, San Diego. And they played in front of about seven, eight hundred people at Golden Hall. And you remember a band called the English Beat? I With do Rick? not. They had that song Mirror in a Bathroom, which was a big hit for a while. 
Um, their lead singer was Rankin Roger. Great, great band. If you get a chance, listen to them. But they were. this was their first show in the U.S. And on the poster, when they told me the name of the band, I thought it was English Pete, P-E-T-E. So they're sitting in the dressing room, and they were huge in England. And they come out, and they said, they don't even spell our name right. What is this? And then they ended up becoming a, a huge act. So, you know, you meet a lot of these bands, and they're just really normal people back then. You know, they might change when they become big stars. But, you know, back then when they're just struggling, they're just just like you and I. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I wanted to get back to that. You know, it's it's not going to be the smoothest transition from rat to direct mail, but uh, I'm going to take a stab at it here. But talk to me about, Keith, I love what you're doing because I haven't seen any other company do it. You have these direct mail crash courses. These are free courses that you go on tour. That's that's a you know that's a nice transition from the music. There, you're going on tour. Yeah, yeah. To to all these cities, and you're you're educating people on the power of direct mail. So you're you're in San Diego. I was so looking forward to seeing you in New York in April. Talk to me about how that came about. What the future of those courses are. And the course of, as you see, trade shows in the next six months. It's kind of mm-hmm. a few questions in one, but I think yeah. it's all related. Yeah. Well, with the seminars, we had we had a really big issue. Um, one of the things we found early on is the success of our company really had very little to do with our level of of customer service um, when it came to people that are actually doing direct mail. Now, it doesn't mean it's not important. We have a very high level of a very high touch, very high level of customer service, and we always get really high rankings. But at the end of the day, if, if we can perfectly perform on a job, get it out on time, the color looks great, everything is done, just high support, perfect. And if they don't make money on the program, they're gone. And it all actually became, we, we realized it was all based on the profitability of the programs they were doing and not based on how we as a company perform from a production facing point of view. And this company had always been very, very kind of commodity, commodity production facing versus marketing facing. And one of the things our CEO said at the time was, well, if we take an active role in, in the marketing, then we're, we're going to get the blame if things go bad. I said, right now we have nothing to do with the marketing. We take the blame if something goes bad. So we might as well have some influence. And we started looking at how do we ed- educate people in mass? And I had been doing seminars back when we had Think Direct Marketing, and we took a lot of that old content and said, this is really everything we need to teach people in order for them to be successful. And it turned out to be about five hours long, which is very, very difficult to do online with a webinar. So we started doing seminars here at the building, and people started showing up, and then we did one in L.A., and And we got about 120 people to it. And then we thought, well, that worked pretty good. Maybe we should try San Francisco. 
and we did in San Francisco and we had a ton of people. And then we did Phoenix and we did Las Vegas and we started moving further and further out and redoing the local ones and moving out again and moving out further and further. And then we were out in New York for a trade show. Um, this is back when the DMA was in New York years ago. Um, and we decided to try one while we were in New York City at the DMA and do it that Thursday after the DMA ended. And it went gangbusters. We had 150 people. And it and the amazing thing about these seminars are our conversion rates. Um, and we normally get anywhere between 75 and 150 people to these events. And we end up converting anywhere between 30 and 40% of the attendees over a 90 day period. So they're extremely profitable. They're very costly to put on. I mean, these events cost 10, 15, 20, $25,000 per event, especially when you're in New York, New York City. It, the rent is expensive, food's expensive, everything's expensive there. But if we get 150 people and we pick up 50 new customers as a result of that, it, it pays for that seminar multiple times over. And is once, once we saw the results, uh, no matter where in the country we went, we started planning these and we do anywhere between 13 and 18 events a year. And we've just started experimenting back again with trying to tie them into some of the larger events that are going on. Uh, for instance, the ANA show was down in um, Orlando. So we tied, we tied our last event on to the end of the ANA show. And we picked up some people from the ANA show that went as well as just people in Orlando. So it, it worked out really, really well. Hey, thanks, Keith. Uh, so speaking of DMA and ANA, now that the old DMA, which is where I think all three of us met, yeah. uh, where do you see the future of the industry? Have you found the ANA shows to be successful for you? I kind of have a, a, a feeling about trade shows. Now, we did the DMA show for years because it's it's our industry show, but it's the only marketing services show we do of the year. Like everybody says, well, aren't you going to do the, you know, um, I don't know, some of the other marketing shows, the the uh, a lot of the heights, the uh, what do they what do they call it? The um, uh, God, what are the other okay? The big well, trade shows, the there's yeah, Dreamforce. The, the, the marketing industry. Dreamforce, marketing profs, there's... Yeah, and and we don't do those shows, and which is a reason they didn't come to the tip of my tongue. But, <laughs> <laughs> and we, we tend to stay away from them because we show our wares and what we do to our competitors because those shows are filled with our competitors where we would much rather go to a show that is of one of our target audiences. So we'll go to a, a retail show. We'll go to an online, like a internet retailer. Um, we'll go to the consumer electronics show. We'll do apparel shows and gift shows and jewelry shows, because these are actually the, our clients. This is, these are where our clients are. And the most amazing thing is when you do these shows, our competitors aren't there. Once in a while, we might see one, two, or three different marketing companies that are that are exhibitors there. 
but it's wide open and it's just us and 20, 30, 40,000 potential customers without having to compete with 150 other direct mail companies that are on the exhibit hall and then another 500 that are walking around trying to get leads, kind of keeping an eye on your booth. And when somebody walks in, they walk in and try to steal the person out of your booth. So, so we've, we've kind of steered away from all of those marketing shows and really focused more on these vertical markets. And we're just hoping that they, they kick back in. Um, one of our biggest customers is Emerald Expositions. And I, I couldn't even imagine being in their shoes right now. They are the largest trade show company in the country. They do about 185 conferences a year. And they're dead in the water right now. They, they're, and it, it's, it's not like there's anything else they can do. Um, they are in the trade show and event business. And it's really just at a complete standstill right now. And even the print expo, or the print event, which was um, kind of the pickup from the DMA, it's momentum events, uh, kind of took that audience that would normally have gone to a DMA show and started an event last year. And that's that's not even till August, and and they're pulling the plug on that one as well. It's uh, definitely definitely different times now, but uh, I'll tell you what uh, the uh, last DMA was the. Uh, First time they let me speak after 10 years, so I was pretty excited, but uh, I didn't realize it would be the last one, unfortunately. Hey, you got my spot. That was the first one in 10 years I didn't speak at. <laughs> at first, I was disappointed that they didn't let me speak, and then I thought, I'm going to be in New Orleans. This is probably better that I don't speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I have to ask you, you know, in the, in the 10 years that I was at... Uh, I attended DMAs. Uh, Modern Postcard was one of the few uh, companies that was consistently there. You know, and, and oh, yeah. so, I kind of uh, hear from you what you attribute your success to, because we've obviously seen a lot of smaller printers uh, go by the wayside, or at least not remain visible anymore. But you guys have done a great job with your branding. We stay in our lane, <laughs> and it's hard. But we really focus on what we're good at and we know where we can compete and really serve our customer base and we know where we can. And in, in today's world, it's, it's really hard to get spread out. And it's frustrating because you have clients that are saying, well, can't you do web search? You know, can't you help us with search engine optimization or SEO and SEM? Sure, we could do it. But is it, it's not what we do. Um, we don't have a high level of expertise in it. We're not going to perform as good or better than a dedicated company that does that. And it's kind of hard sometimes telling a customer that, you know, no, it's, we don't do it. Um, because, you know, the, there's that old, you know, thought process that you do whatever the customer wants you to do. And that's driven a lot of companies into bankruptcy. Um, you, you can't in today's market. You, you need to. It doesn't mean you get so specialized that we say, nah, we only do a six by 11 postcard. That six by eight and a half is a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. You, know, you have to have some flexibility. Um, but 
not so much that it dilutes your focus. So we've really kind of had to um, kind of almost temper our enthusiasm a lot of times where we say, hey, we want to start spreading into digital and we want to do this and we want to do that. And we, you know, there's all this great stuff we can be doing. And then you start losing your focus on your true core competencies and where you, you really kind of excel and you start to lose that focus and it gives other people a chance to get in that game. So as frustrating as it's been at times, we've really kind of stayed true to our course, focused on our core competencies. Well, we definitely have expanded into, into digital advertising, but it's very rare that we do digital as a standalone. It's always part of an integrated direct mail program. And same with matching emails and everything is kind of based with a centralized direct mail focus. And then we start layering different advertising media on top of that but kind of always based around that, the DM side of the business, instead of trying to spread into a, a bunch of other stuff. We, I've seen our competitors go into video and build big studios and spend a lot of money there and you know build out huge digital groups. They get completely overextended. They have a few bad months or a couple bad quarters, and then they're gone because of how stretched thin they are, where by staying focused, we've been able to keep plenty of resources, be able to weather things like what are going on right now. Yeah. And I, I, I like what you're saying there, Keith, about, you know, staying in, in, in your own lane, perfecting something, uh, you know, uh, any digital help for those clients, you, you know, you could send them right over my way. I'll give my yeah. email address to you. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to talk to you about how direct mail has changed over the years. Uh, let's, let's say last 20 years, last few years and today, because I have my take on it as far as it's concerned today, but I'd love to hear your take on the the evolution, if you will, last 20 years. Well, there, yeah, and there's, it's, there's two different areas, I think. One is technology, and the other one I would say would be more of a kind of generational um, kind of format shift which isn't really technology driven. It's more of what's really appropriate to, to, to today's audience. But I'll start out with the technology side. And with the technology side, I think that the, the absolute biggest change in the last 20 years is data. And here's an example. When we first started our data company 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and people would say, well, how, you know, how deep can you go in the data? And I say, hey, if you want to, find doctors that drive Porsches and have cell phones, we could do it. And people look at you like, wow, that's pretty cool. And today it's what kind of doctor, how big is his practice? How long has he been in business? How many employees does he have? Um, where did he go to school? What was his grade point average? <laughs> the Porsche, what year, what make, what model, you know, does he have the deluxe interior or, you know, the leather or is it, you know, what kind of interior, what kind of performance package? And then it could be, you know, on the phone, what, what, pro, what kind of phone does he have? What kind of packages does he have? Does he have unlimited text? What's his carrier? Um, it, it's just amazing how deep you can go. Um, things like predictive modeling 20 years ago, 
that was something that just the largest companies in America could afford to do. The average small business marketer didn't even know what predictive modeling was. Profiling, appending, all that information, which is just a regular process today. Sure, how much, what, what information do you want appended? How big is your account? Here's the format your list has to be in. Um, being able to integrate with with digital or with you know online search habits and you know online transactions and offline transactions and all of the information that's at our fingertips now is is just put us light years ahead when when it comes to advances in the industry and then the digital printing technology is really was created to take advantage of the increased data. So that's kind of an after effect of the data because now that we have the data, how do we actually integrate that into the mail piece? And don't you really want something other than black laser to represent that personalization? Hence, variable data printing and digital to where it actually becomes part of the creative and being able to swap out a creative, creatives that are appropriate to different audiences and different demographics and different values. And that all becomes kind of a real-time transition in the mail piece to get better response. And then being able to integrate everything with digital advertising. So a lot of what, what you guys and then what we're doing as well is based on um, website visits, you know, being able to hit people within a day of the time that they actually got on a website and have um, mail pieces that are appropriate with the content that they were viewing and their interests when they visited the site and being able to do digital display match to postal. So they get a postcard in the mail and they start seeing digital ads on their phones and their interactive television and their desktop computers and their, their uh, laptops that are all tied to the direct mail and create easy conversion URLs and things like that that make it much easier to actually respond to the advertising by being able to see it offline but respond online and kind of tying all these things together. So I, I'd say technology-wise, those are the biggest advances. But then I think the generational shift has created a whole new kind of set of rules for direct mail. And when you, you talk to a lot of the old time direct mail guys, like, ah, letters are always the best. Yeah, if you want to get the best results, you got to use a number 10 letter package. Well, yeah, 20, 30 years ago, that was true. But back then, baby boomers really held the purse strings and they were used to getting letters. And they opened letters. Good things came in letters. But when's the last time we ever wrote a letter? You know, Generation Xers are now completely in charge of, of the financial future of the country. And most of them never wrote a letter. They and Edna, by the time they were grown up, and Edna had already learned to send emails and texts. They didn't, she didn't send letters. She didn't send birthday cards. They were e-cards with e-gift certificates. And good things didn't really come in envelopes. It was just bills and advertising for new credit cards. Um, and there's a huge shift away towards what I call graphical formats, which are postcards, self-mailers, catalogs that aren't in the envelopes that have that high graphical impact. You're, you're speaking now to the, to the MTV generation. 
And these are people that saw three to 5,000 ads a day, are very digitally savvy, um, are very ADHD. <laughs> uh, they're, you know, these are the very short attention spans. You have to hit them quick and you have to get right in front of them. It used to always be, oh, it's all about the offer. It's all about the offer. It's all about the offer. They're spending a half a second looking at a mail piece in the mailbox right now before they decide whether they want to keep it or not. And if that imagery doesn't resonate with, with them, they will never see the offer. They're just going to look at the image and decide right there whether or not this is something they actually want to save for later. And I actually use this as an example in my seminars. I have a big stack of mail. I start flipping through it. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, yes, no, 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 yes. And whatever that keeper pile is, I'm going to say, okay, I'm keeping this. I'm not necessarily going to react to it now, but it caught my attention. I'm going to keep it and read it later because you don't have the attention span for somebody to sit there for half an hour every day after work looking through their mail. They'll skim through it, keep the ones that they want to keep, put the rest in the recycle bin and move on. And as an advertiser, you need to make that first cut. If you don't make the first cut, you're dead in the water. So we've really worked with our clients in how do you create that graphical impact? How do you capture somebody's attention? And I think that that is one of the biggest changes. And, and the other thing is what's more important than the offer is you need to, to resonate with the recipient. And you need to capture their attention. So even once you've captured their initial attention with the graphics, you need to have messaging that really grabs them. The, it has to be much more emotional than we've ever talked about in the past. People tend to want to talk about their product right away. Our product is this and our product is that and our product is all these great things. You really need to identify that, that desire and that need in the recipient. And we, we normally recommend using pain points to, to basically have them identify with the benefit of your product right away. So you can create that pain and show how you can fix it. And these are all very, very different approaches than they were using 20 years ago with direct mail. It was all about, hey, buy this product and we'll give you 30% off and we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll do all this great stuff. Now it's all about kind of fixing, fixing problems. And you, you see it in a lot of the new TV commercials as well, where it's not all about the product. It's all about kind of that lifestyle type of, of marketing where you're identifying things that are missing in people's lives where that hole can be filled by that product. And you need to be able to take that over to direct mail and, as well and any type of advertising. But I see that as the second shift and something that's really changed is kind of the, the messaging, creative format and everything else of direct mail has changed significantly. And when I hear people saying, oh yeah, we mailed a letter last year and it didn't work, so we're not gonna do direct mail. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, let's talk. Um, you might've missed the boat on that one. So those are the those are the major changes I've seen. Hmm. Yeah, no, and you resonated with me there on so many levels. What I do now, Keith, is if I get a mail piece I'll look at it and I'll just do that. I'll put it to the side. I'll get back to it. If it captures me, I just did it with a Charles Terwitt offer and a Sperry uh, shoes offer. I was like, oh, this is really nicely done. I like the piece. I'm going to put it to the side. It's it's the right timing. 
I also like the fact now that on the B2B side, if I'm at my office, I love getting a piece of mail. I feel like I don't get that that often. I feel like now at home, if I'm getting a B2B piece, uh, a postcard in the mail on the B2B side, I don't turn off my work hat. I'm working from home. So that Absolutely. I, I enjoy I enjoy getting. I think that's so important. We're seeing that on the data side, on the marketing side as well, targeting those individuals at home. And we're, we're almost coming to uh, our time. Look how time flies when we're having fun and a couple yeah. of old friends yeah. catching up here. But you know, that really, that really hits home. And it's, we've been telling a lot of our clients now as you, you know, even at work, your, your consumer hat doesn't turn off when you're at work. So think about the opposite when, when you're at the office, sending a piece on the consumer side and vice you know, versa. We actually, we have a lot of clients now that if they market towards attorneys, doctors, um, teachers, trying to hit those professions at the at the office is virtually impossible because the gatekeepers but because every one of those requires a license normally when they apply for their license it's before they actually have their job and it's through their home and they never normally change their license address to their business so those are all people that can be reached at home and we've had wild success in those professions by touching people at home so it definitely works so Keith, any final words for young students and uh, college students that are going to be graduating soon? The economy is at an all-time low. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, for all you e-snobs out there, <laughs> um, I know that, you know, in the schools today, there are really no classes on direct mail. Um, it's all about digital advertising. And I talk to so many young people, especially at the seminars, about how direct mail, direct or digital advertising is awesome, especially social media. It's very inexpensive, but you can't, you're only, you can only pick up so many customers using digital advertising and social media. Um, you can only hit people so many times a day with a digital ad until it's just not effective anymore. So it's not like you can just say, well, let's turn up the volume and instead of hitting them five times a day, let's hit them 20 times a day. First of all, the inventory is not available and you just, it's, you can't dial it up. There's only a certain amount of people that you can pick up, but direct mail is truly scalable. I mean, there's so much information and not everybody buys everything online and there's not a lot, there's not as much online data available as there is offline when it comes to demographics and, and everything else. So, you know, they really need to at least take a look at direct mail. And so many of them have their eyes closed and say, nope, nope, I don't want to do that. That's old fashioned. We're not going to do it. And then once they look at it, um, so I saying, wow, I, I can acquire customers for only $30. Are you kidding? <laughs> it's an eye-opening experience to them. So yeah, at least, you know, the, take a look at it. It, it. It's old, but it works. It's, it's why it's still here. It's old, but it works. I I love that. That's a that's a great way to 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 end the podcast here. Keith, are you going to be doing any more direct mail one hundred and one webinars? Yes, in the July future. 1st. July first. Okay, July first. We'll mention that. Hopefully, the direct mail crash courses are going to be coming back when everything is safe. Everyone out there should please check one out if it comes to a city near you. 
let Keith know that you heard us on the marketing stir and that's why you're there. <laughs> yeah. Keith, where could people find you? Is there to follow you on social media? Is there an email address? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my, my email is Keith G K E I T H G at modernpostcard.com. This has been, this has been awesome, Keith. It's just nice to catch up with you as always and talk shop. Thank you so much for joining us on the marketing stir. That is Keith Goodman with Modern Postcard. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. He's AJ Gupta. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Vincent. Thanks, AJ. Have a great day. You too, Keith. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.